Let me just double check how many pages of notes I have on the Clone Wars series. <laughs> and I tried to keep it as brief as possible. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, nine. Nine pages. <laughs> so. That's not too, not too bad. It's a personal problem. You know what we don't have a problem with? I actually don't. Okay. Uh, recording these episodes on a timely manner. Oh, yeah. For the Waffle Press podcast. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome, gang. Matt, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Star Wars. Hi, I'm your host, Diego Crespo. I'm not your host. I'm Matt. I had a running gag, I think I started, where I always started out with, we're here to talk about something, whatever, and then I just gave up. Yeah, I, I, was, I just got tired of doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Well, uh, speaking of tired, was there any point after the Star Wars prequels where you were tired of Star Wars? Um, yes. There was. Well, there was, you know, there was that weird moment where, like, because I was a little naive, I think I mentioned in the Revenge of the Sith episode, and I honestly believed that uh, Revenge of the Sith was going to be the end. That that was it. No more Star Wars. So I kind of took that, like, as, like, a, you know, closing a door in my life. But I didn't, like, I wasn't totally over Star Wars. Um, but that was definitely, there was kind of a time after that where I, I was slowly checking out. And wasn't super interested in Star Wars. Uh, the most I was interested in was I played the uh, Lego Star Wars games, which are a ton of fun if you haven't played them. Oh, they're great. And I know that my final, like, complete burnout came right when the Blu rays came out of Star Wars. That was the moment when I, uh, when I quit. Aww. Um, but I think that was only I, that only lasted like a year and a half because then there a, a thing happened. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> but, uh, but but speaking of those Blu-rays, there we go. Um, one of the weird things that we've touched on this a little bit, but one one of the things that happened, we're here to talk about. For those who don't know, we're here to talk about the Star Wars expanded universe, and kind of the cultural impact of Star Wars post the prequels, like what was going on after the prequels came out. Um, and one of the things that happened was the, uh, Star Wars finally came to DVD in, I believe, uh, 2004. Um, I know it was, it was before, uh, episode three came out, because if you got the first round of DVDs, you got, uh, a special sneak preview at, uh, episode three. That was basically all about how Darth Vader was going to be in the movie for about two minutes. They didn't say that in the preview. But they were talking, oh, we're making the Darth Vader helmet, and he's going to be in the movie, and Darth Vader's going to be in it. Um, but when these DVDs came out, people suddenly realized something, which is that they were the special edition films, except they were no longer called the special edition films. Now they were just called Star Wars. And that these changes are now permanent. It's no longer a, you know... The box set, you didn't get two options of the original cut and the special edition cut. You now just got the special edition. And that's it. 
Now it's the only edition. Now it's the main, it's the definitive canon edition. So, uh, uh, Yub Dub is no longer canon, but Jedi Rocks is. <laughs> which makes a lot of fucking sense. Well, George Lucas has had a rough time with the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's all I got. I mean, that's, there's no, there's like, of all the things I will complain about George Lucas for doing or poke fun at, there's usually like a silver lining to something. Or, like, really, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But this is the only one where he really has no excuse on, in my opinion. Just the, the way he's, he releases these movies. Um, you could eventually... They eventually released the DVD version that came with all these movies as a bonus disc. But the quality was just awful. And I believe... I, I never owned these versions, but I believe they were only available in pan and scan. I could be wrong, though. Um, but then the Blu-rays came out with even more changes. And at that point, it just felt like a guy who was just changing it for the sake of changing it. <laughs> it feels like he's, he's just very insecure in what people didn't like with both the prequels and his changes to the special edition release of the, the original Star Wars trilogy. I, I, we talked about it in Return of the Jedi, but uh, the the instance where Darth Vader yells no in the moment where he saves Luke and throws the Emperor into the pit of the Death Star, mm-hmm. like that, that ruins such a an amazing moment. Yeah, like I I, I don't understand. Well, I guess I, that one I kind of understand because he just he's like, well, he didn't like it there. I'm gonna add it here. I I just don't get it. Like, I, I still don't totally understand it. I just don't feel like why he felt the need to do it. Maybe there's, like, just, there was a grand scheme. Like, this is where, because, like, the, like, there's, like, three options, which is one, like, George Lucas is very insecure. George Lucas is an evil businessman. Or George Lucas is an incompetent filmmaker. Well, you know what I think and, he's trying to do there? With that one specifically, anyways, he's, in the birth of Darth Vader... In Revenge of the Sith, you have that no moment. And so mm-hmm. I guess that moment where Anakin, quote-unquote, redeems himself, that's the death of Darth Vader. And so then he just reiterates the no, which is, is dumb, but I, that's it's, the feeling I get from it. That's idiotic. It's so idiotic. I mean, I can't even begin to describe the levels of which that is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go on. It's just... Uh, but... It's it's just, and this is also a time when George is giving, like, that was the other thing. George was giving a lot of interviews around this time where it was like, it kind of became apparent that he maybe didn't know what he was doing. Um, I just remember him, like, he was complaining, like, I mean, there's the classic, like, complaining about the fans. And, but that's kind of to be expected. Um, there was one interview where he said that the reason that, one, he said all children like the prequels and that the divide is only a generational thing. Um, which I don't believe is true. Um, he actually said that at a Star Wars convention, and I think some people kind of booed, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Aww. Um, and he got like really a group like passive aggressive with the audience, where he's like, kind of like, "Hey, you got to make sure you do something else in your life other than Star Wars." Now pay for tickets to my Star Wars celebration. 
Um, and uh, and then he what was the thing I was gonna say? He he's like people didn't like the prequels because Darth Vader didn't show up in Episode One, and they wanted Darth Vader around from the beginning, just running around killing people. Like he just seems to have a very cynical view of his own audience. Um, which isn't entirely warrantless, considering how some people uh, reacted to Rogue One, in my opinion. Um, a movie I like. It's, it's flawed. It's an it's a interesting film. It's, that's one where, that felt like it was answering the fans who wanted Star Wars to be gritty. I will get to that later. Fuck all of it. But, uh, <laughs> but he, seemed to, he, he seemed to be very, having a very cynical view of the Star Wars fans around this time. Understandably, considering the back, and I'm guessing George Lucas probably got some death threats over the years, which is never justified, even if no matter how much you hate. No, there's no universe where sending a guy a death threat because you didn't like a movie he made is ever warranted. Yeah, people are always going to be more important than any of what these things have to offer. So, don't be those assholes, please. Yeah, people are more important than their art, unless you're Woody Allen. Oh yeah, who could drop dead? And I would. Who? Uh, he's an old guy. He's gonna live to be like three hundred, I guess, because <laughs> he just won't die. And I can't watch Annie Hall again until he's dead. Um, <laughs> and George Lucas, you know, to his credit, we always talk about. I mean, we brought it up like every episode, specifically regarding the prequels. Not, not really a f- total big fans of what he did with them, but. You know, in terms of, of artists that are complete shitbags, he is not one of them. He's <laughs> a fucking saint <laughs> compared <laughs> to most of Hollywood. Yeah. There, there are some I issues, mean, of course, like with uh, how he releases the movies, which is, I think, what, what you brought up initially. But mm. fuck, you know, it's not – he's not hurting anybody. Like I said, out. at the end of the day, George Lucas made a bunch of products I didn't like. Yeah. That's it. like, and like the only thing I say that I think is like legitimately should stick is his constant re-edits of the film and then suppression of the original edits. That's it. That's really all I have a big problem with. Um, but yeah, like at the end of the day, it's just it, Star Wars went in a weird direction after the prequel. Um, one of them was a. Uh, a new uh, series of Star Wars books that would follow the characters from the original films called the New Jedi Order series. And I'm sure uh, you're aware of this series, Diego. I actually am am not that aware of it. Okay, this is the series where Chewbacca dies. (laughs) Oh, shit. Um, That happened, this series like started right after Phantom Menace came out. And they were like, like more eyes are on Star Wars now than ever before, so we got to do something big with the books to get people focused. And we're going to start doing this huge book series. And uh, they got like multiple writers to work on it, which is always a brilliant idea. That definitely won't lead to contradictions <laughs> within the series and stuff not adding up. But uh, there's, there was, it was uh, it's called The New Jedi Order. The first book was called Vector Prime which is the only one I actually read because I did not enjoy it. I was kind of one of those people that was a little burned by the death of Chewbacca, which happens in it, the first book. <laughs> and at one point, it was going to be Han Solo. Han Solo was going to be the one to die in a book. And uh, I, someone at Lucasfilm said, no, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
the series basically centers around uh, the the empire is basically gone. Like there's I, like there's almost no imperial forces around in the galaxy. Uh, Leia and um, Han have three kids, uh, whose names I didn't write down. Oh, okay. I'm familiar with the events. I just haven't read them then. Yeah, okay, yeah. So um, I know the youngest is Anakin. So Anakin Solo. Um, none of them are named Ben. Uh, I think it's Jason and something else. I don't remember. Jason and, and Jaina. Jason and Jaina, yeah, the twins. They're two older twins and then one younger, Anakin. This mysterious force invades from outside of the uh, Star Wars galaxy called... Uh, I have to look up their name to make sure I pronounce this right. Hold on. I have mispronounced everything in the EU so far. I is there any like proper way to say any of these though? Um, I'm sure fans have ways of saying these things that I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's the Yuzon Vong, and there's this. It's they're like this religious, like extremist race. Of like they have no technology. All their all the shit they use is like organic in some way. And they also the force is they're immune to the force. Which I don't think is ever given like a very strict definition, but that just makes them a bigger threat. And so they invade the Star Wars galaxy and all sorts of shit go wrong. They're basically like the Star Wars was trying to have their own Borg. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what it was. Interesting idea. I don't think the execution went very well. And I did, there, there was a lot of these books. I just remember the series went on for a long time, and they were releasing like four books a year. And it got ridiculous. Um, and anyway, Chewbacca dies in the first book. <laughs> so that was a big deal. And I think it's like very much says that Han Solo never gets over the death of his friend. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, uh, there's some. So if you were upset about Phantom Menace, <laughs> enjoy the new Jedi Order books. Your friends are dead. <laughs> uh, um, which, so that led to a mixed, a mixed reaction from the fan base. There's some that love it. Um, I never was into it enough to love it. I didn't read a ton of the Star Wars books that were very specifically like po that were like I didn't even think I don't even think I like realized it, but I didn't read too much that came after the prequel movie started getting released. I, this was when I was reading like the Thrawn books and the X-wing books, and. Uh, the new the Jedi Academy trilogy and some of that stuff, but uh, I never touched most of the books post um, Phantom Menace. Did you read any of them? The only ones I I got into were these Obi Wan books when it was like young mm -hmm. Obi Wan for whatever reason. I was really into those. They're not great, but um, I really liked uh, Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan and uh, Qui Gon Jinn. When I was younger, so I was like, "Oh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat these up," but I don't retain like anything from them. I just remember enjoying them when I was younger. When I was in middle school, I read a bunch of Anakin-centric books, like between Episode One and Two, but I don't remember a single thing that happened in any of them. I mean, even like the best of the Star Wars EU, I know it has its fans. I mean, obviously, we talked about the Thrawn trilogy and how that's like, it's a great read and even a pretty good story, like narrative wise. But uh, mm. there's not a lot to them. 
other than like like there's nothing rich. It doesn't it doesn't have like the majesty of the Star Wars films, I'd say. You know, you could you could adapt that and make it like into a great Star Wars movie. Yeah, you could you have to add a lot, but they're not like uh, high art or anything like that. No, I, I would never. I mean, yeah, they're not fucking Moby Dicks, but it's they're they're fun books. They're like books you read on like a plane if you're going on vacation. Yeah, you'd be like, that was a good time, and th- there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And usually, it's like, oh, hey, this now like usually the the better ones will explain something from the movies or give you a different perspective on something from the movies that's like, oh, that's a little fun. Mm-hmm. Like, who the fuck Mon Mothma is or what did Akbar do after the war and all that shit. He's currently trying to block uh, the new uh, the Bernie Sanders healthcare bill um, <laughs> and fucking benefits to veterans. But um, <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> And the problem is, I honestly think one of the problems is, I think this hints to more of the flaws of the prequels is that there's not a ton of interesting stuff in the prequels that warrants books to explore. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, like, there's, there's some interesting looking characters, but there's never anyone from those book movies where I'm like, I wish I knew more about his life. Like, even Mace Window. I don't really give a shit about learning more about him. The only ones they this smartly a certain series would later realize that the focus should probably be on Obi-Wan and Anakin because they're the closest we get to interesting characters in those movies. And uh, stuff about them tends to be a little better than stuff about everything else. <laughs> Although there are some good EU some of the better EU books are actually the novelizations of the movies. Um, I actually think the Revenge of the Sith novelization is pretty good. Mostly because it ties in a lot of other EU stuff, and it it it, it can internalize a lot of things that the movie never could do. And actually, they consider, if, if you were like a, like a fan of EU stuff, they actually consider the Revenge of the Sith novelization to be the middle chapter of a trilogy of books. Um, which actually, all, and all three go really well together. One is called Labyrinth of Evil, which focuses on Anakin and uh, General Grievance. And uh, then there's the Revenge of the Sith, and the next one is Dark Lord, something about Darth Vader. <laughs> and it's actually all right. So the EU, I think the EU is actually starting to pick up a little. Post, uh, actually, that's not true. There was a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there, but there were more. There was finally some competent ones coming out post Revenge of the Sith. I think while the prequels were happening, a lot of people didn't know what to do with the EU, and it made things very confusing. It leads to a lot of stagnation going on at all levels of Lucasfilm. The one that's like almost a game changer in Star Wars is uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Oh fuck yeah! The Bioware role playing game. It was kind of them. I mean, in a weird way, it's them kind of. Uh, you know, testing out what the Mass Effect games would be. Their, their own space opera series uh, before that happens. Um, and basically, Bioware, they got the license, and Lucasfilm said, you can either do a story set right after Phantom Menace, or you can do a story set a thousand years before the Phantom Menace. And they picked uh, a thousand years before. <laughs> Which, uh, and, honestly, uh, I, I think that's the way to go for a lot of the, the standalone side stuff. We'll get to that eventually uh, in another mm-hmm. episode, but 
if people don't want to be like constrained by storytelling like devices and like universe building around them like oh my god the door is open for millions of years across the star wars universe i don't know why yeah well, no, I, get, I get why but I, yeah. I don't want that to be a constraint on storytelling um, yeah, and at this point, uh, the Old Republic was, they basically just had a lot of comic books to base them, so they just had to read a com- couple comic books over the weekend to get what was going on in the Old Republic. Um, and they told a very interesting story. Um, I'm not sure how much I should spoil, because a, it's a very good game if you haven't played it. Yeah, usually I'm like, ah, oh, uh, the game, however old, or the story is however old, if you haven't seen it by now. But surprising amount of people haven't played it even even big star wars fans uh yeah i don't get that that's it seems to me that was like the best game star wars ever did oh fuck yeah without a doubt even the sequel uh, couldn't like match up to it yeah well the sequel they they the sequels fucked up <laughs> um if you haven't if you haven't played knights of the old republic not the mmo although that's pretty fun too it's, it's nice casual play um mm-hmm. it's available on steam i believe or uh, it is catch up with it like if you have an old xbox or something and you find a copy on ebay i i, w- I would recommend that i mean it's it, it's a great game it's great it really is check it out oh and, what, and uh, really quick what what race did they invent they invented a race in the game oh the i don't species. know that off the top of my head they look like uh weird whale things they're on the cover of the game too and they're like so cool yeah, I can. I, I, you know, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name. It's awesome. been a while since I've played the game. Yeah, oh, this is gonna bother me, but whatever. Yeah, there. It's it's awesome. World building, great story, great characters. It, it's it's the pinnacle of Star Wars and in the video game medium. And if you play it, you might notice something I did the last time I played it, which was uh, it's I I kind of feel like they were riffing on this Phantom Menace a little bit. There's a lot of plot points in. Uh, in Knights of the Old Republic that feel very similar to what was happening in The Phantom Menace, and Bioware was like, here's how you could have done that better. <laughs> Inclu- including a, uh, a, not a pod race, but a swoop bike race very early on. And it made the point of, hey, maybe there's actually like a threat to losing the swoop bike race <laughs> that isn't just being stuck. So yeah, check it out. Don't you don't need to play the second one. If you're curious, play it, but it's not 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 great. Yeah. Yeah, there's another video game in the Star Wars uh universe that was quite popular. It spawned a sequel and was meant to be a trilogy, I believe, or an ongoing series. This was supposed to launch a multimedia project. This was not just going to launch uh, uh this video game was going to launch books, it was going to launch comics and it was going to launch a TV series. Um, there was behind the scenes at Lucasfilm, according to rumor, they got like, if you look at like the list of writers, it's like some of the best writers of sci-fi television over the past 10 years. Um, at that time, um, they got them together in a room and had them map out a star Wars television series. There was going to be a live action series set between the prequels and the original trilogy. And they were going to connect to this video game and another video game being developed at that time. A video game that never got released, by the way, called Star Wars 1313. It was going to be like, it was, they had like all this stuff planned. The problem was, one of the problems they ran into was that the budget estimates for the show kept getting bigger and bigger. And it basically would have cost like, 
it would have been the budget of a Star Wars film per episode, I think I read at one point. Fuck. And, uh, and, th- and it didn't help that apparently George Lucas would look at like some of the scripts and be like, you, should, you gotta add uh, like s- speeder bike races. <laughs> like Lucas really wanted to add like fast-paced action to all the show, and that kept like ballooning the budget. And this was when Rick McCollum was still working on it, and he was like, we can't really do that, George. And I was like, no, we can do it. <laughs> and um, at some point, George Lucas realized that they couldn't do it. And again, this is probably one of the reasons why he was developing his you know, digital filmmaking technology, because he wanted to be able to produce a Star Wars series from his Lucasfilm, like, you know, uh, his Skywalker Ranch. He didn't want to have to go to, like, a million different locations to film this stuff. He wanted to make it easier. That's been the goal the whole time, remember? And remember, the reason he started making the prequels in the first place was because he started making the Young Indiana Jones TV show. So there's Lucas has all these weird plans going on behind the scenes. Another reason why uh, this didn't take off was because The Force Unleashed 2 was a big flop. And that's because The Force Unleashed sucks. I know people like the first one and they're wrong. Um, I hated Forced Unleashed. It was just boring. I mean, that's basically it. I'm not, there's not much more to it. It's a very boring video game that... It does the Rogue One thing if it's referencing everything it possibly can that happened in between <laughs> episode three and four. To be like, oh, hey, it's just fucking Tarkin, this fucking, what's his name? Admiral Akbar and all that shit. It stars possibly the worst protagonist of any of the major Star Wars releases. Um, but his name's Starkiller. So he's cool. Starkiller. He, he's so cool. That's why he has that name. He's badass, man. The Force is unleashed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what all the fans want. Oh, I feel like I'm being like a cynical George Lucas now, but... Yeah, there I'm are not, fans I'm that do. There are fans that love this idea of this is how Star Wars should be. Well, for a little preview into my fucking past couple weeks, I've been, like, looking up... I was trying to look up, like, criticism of The Force Awakens and defense of the prequels from Star Wars fans, and uh, I didn't find too much that I like. Because <laughs> it was very... Uh, oh, my God, I don't know how to say it. I don't want to be a jerk, but... Uh, be a dick. The, the very definition of fan dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Just people who do not get the thing they love. And like, man, it's, it's, we need more action. It needs more... It's Star Wars, the prequels are so good because so much happens in them. <laughs> and that's what I... And, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a dick. If you like those movies, fine. But I, I found a whole group that liked them for very stupid reasons. I, I read some very good analysis and interesting perspectives on the prequel trilogy. But I've also read plenty of people who also hate The Force Awakens for very odd, uncomfortable reasons. And Ray's a Mary Sue. And and love Rogue One for reasons that I I didn't even realize were reasons until I I came across them on the internet. Like the the really dark, serious, you know, because that's what real art is. You know, that's what real entertainment is. It's for adults because it's serious. And, you know, that's that's Mature. This fund for the whole family product needs to cater to me, a guy in his 40s. Yeah. (laughs) 
or a young person who wants to feel like an older person. Because I'm very insecure about girls not liking me. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's very cynical. I don't mean to say that. Um, but there is, a, there is a streak of fandom that's a little bit like that with everything. Like, they, they need their thing to be super serious because they want to be taken seriously. But they also want to keep liking essentially something made for kids. I mean, I don't think Star Wars should really venture out of the... Fun for the whole family territory. Yeah, and you, know? you can still do legitimate storytelling with that. Like, I think it's it's way more immature to try and strive for something that is quote unquote serious because they want to feel better about themselves. I guess you know. Yeah, like the idea that if you suddenly add like seriousness, or like if you like draw parallels to a real world thing, it suddenly adds weight to your story. <laughs> Yeah, and that's not it, it, that's not how storytelling works. The Zack Snyder approach, if you will. I didn't want to bring it up. Uh, I was going to say, um, like, it, Dark Knight. Like, Dark Knight's a great movie that happens to be serious, but even that has mm, moments of levity. Yeah. Legitimate characters. It's, it's genuinely funny at times, too. I think people forget mm. about that movie a lot. That's hilarious at times. But, fuck. Just, just tell a good story. And with Star Wars, y- you don't need to show Anakin killing a bunch of kids. <laughs> you don't you yeah. don't need anything that heavy. You don't need a guy who is so powerful he can pull a star destroyer out of the sky. Fucking if we're talking about Mary Sue's <laughs> I mean fuck. I don't like using that term, but Star Killer is like an embarrassing Mary Sue. <laughs> yeah, that 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 uh reference has like weird connotations. Cause I guess it there is a movement to like push a Gary stew for like the male equivalent, mm. but you, you never hear it with male characters anyways. I wonder why. Um, yeah. But if, if we're going to use that own terminology, yeah. Fucking star killer is such a nothing character. He's such a, just like, he's like tortured backstory, uber powerful, angry. Yeah. So he's cool. Uh, I will say I really like Sam, Sam Whitwer. Uh, mm. I think he's, Really cool character actor, and he would go on to do great work in the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels as Darth Maul. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. So sorry, he's like that a cool you, guy. You were wasted in two video games, dude. Yeah. Great. It, it's cool that like he, he stayed around to do other stuff. Um. Because he deserved better. Yeah. Also in uh, Frank Darabont's The Mist, which is amazing. Yeah. When is Frank Darabont gonna make another movie? I don't know. I'm uh, so waiting for it. And the Walking Dead just, like, killed him, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Fuck The Walking Dead, you pieces of shit. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm not. I'm being really down on these on this Star Wars stuff today. No, no, it's okay, because I, I feel like we're good enough to pivot into the Clone Wars now. Both at a Yeah, now is the time to talk about a really great cartoon series that was released that's connected to the prequels. Uh, do you um, want to talk I'm about so- the, uh, the Tartakovsky version first? Yeah, that was the joke I was building towards, you fuck. Okay, well, fucking sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how can you not? I was telegraphing that one, fucking obvious. <laughs> and, oh, hey, hey, Matt, are you going to talk about it? Yes, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> I'm impatient. These things are like hours and hours of editing. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All you do Thanks is for having me on, on the, the show. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, there was a great 2D Clone Wars cartoon that seems to have been forgotten to the sands of time. 
I don't know if it has an official DVD release. I watched it on YouTube. Um, it's up in its entirety on YouTube right now. Or at least it was three weeks ago. Uh, and it was this was so weird because it uh, like at least this shows George Lucas was watching something interesting because at some point someone must have shown him Samurai Jack. And on some level, Lucas must have said to himself, I want the action in the Star Wars universe to look like Samurai Jack. Which isn't a bad idea. <laughs> and in fact, it's probably a very good idea. Um, maybe a little much, because Samurai Jack is like a little like over the top, but that's kind of the point. Um, but hey, but then, so he commissioned uh, Gimme Tartakovsky, who did uh, Samurai Jack to do a Clone Wars cartoon that was only like, but each episode was only five minutes. And I remember when this was airing. It would air on Cartoon Network on Fridays, I believe, and they would just show it in between other cartoons. And you would just watch it like, they'd be like, all right, here's the Star Wars cartoon. <laughs> and you get like a five-minute short uh, set during the Clone Wars. And some of these shorts managed to tell more of a story than the prequels ever did. <laughs> Well, the because um, they came in like blocks because they they played all the way up until the release of uh, Revenge of the Sith. It took like a year break or something, but the the first two quote unquote seasons they had like ten episodes of three minutes each, which mm -hmm. is still weird. That's even shorter than five minutes. But then the last one that was released from March, like uh, actually the entirety of March. In uh, 2005, like right before Revenge of the Sith came out, those were 12 minutes each. I don't understand why they blocked those episodes like that because they all tell one big story, anyways. Yeah. So I, I just find it really confusing. Well, I think it was because George Lucas probably had the idea of he wanted to show the Clone Wars, but there was also the problem of George Lucas not really knowing what the Clone Wars were. <laughs> I mean, he, he, in between. Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, he's writing Revenge of the Sith. And as I mentioned in the Revenge of the Sith episode, he had this idea of opening Revenge of the Sith, showing like five battles on five different planets. He wanted to show the entire scope of the Clone Wars in Revenge of the Sith. And then that got pared down to, honestly, a better decision of focusing on Anakin more. Because um, you do need to tell his story. He would have gotten lost in a bigger war story. Um, unless you had like a brilliant screenplay, which there was very little chance of Revenge of the Sith having a brilliant screenplay. Um, so he probably really didn't have much to give Tartakovsky. Um, so he's like, keep it simple and make it about very like simple things that I don't have to explain too much. <laughs> and then for the last bit, it literally just leads right into the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. Um, so if you ever wondered why General Grievous was coughing at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, the Clone Wars cartoon explains it. I believe we call that uh, storytelling fluidity. We call it bullshit. <laughs> it's, uh, Layers. Um, but I did mention um, on another episode about how General Grievous' introduction on the Clone Wars cartoon is one of the scariest things I ever saw as a kid. Yeah, where he basically kills like five Jedi in a pretty—it's just a pretty terrifying sequence. Where like you, at first you only hear his voice, and then like they're just—they're surrounded, and then slowly he just starts picking them all off, and then that's how he starts collecting the lightsabers. 
So that's why he's collecting lightsabers, which he foolishly shows Anakin and Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> I never thought about that. Like, oh my god, they have they can force pull things. Have- he's like, oh shit, I forgot Jedi can do that. <laughs> I've only been fighting them for a couple of years now. And I mean, I bring it up all the time again, but it just goes to show like what cool ideas a lot of the prequels have. Like General Grievous in execution here, fucking awesome, scary, and yeah, intimidating. a guy who could take on five to six Jedi. Because I think who else was in there? Someone survives. Kid Ami Mundi survives. Yeah, but he, yeah, you're right. He kills five of them, I think, and then um, he has no force abilities, but he can take them all on, and he's just machinery basically and like an open heart like that's that's a cool character and then he collects their weapons yeah like it, that is so cool and you could almost make him a precursor to vader which which some of the other material tries to do but instead when you finally get to the movie he's very uh he's very much a darth maul again yeah. Not very interesting. And then when you get to the other Clone Wars cartoon, which I guess it's time to segue into, he's uh, he's fairly menacing, but he's not like uh, he's never as scary as he was in that one episode. You, you can't you can't top that, I guess. But only you know what? No, they should have been able to top that because they had hours and hours of screen time available for him. They just they just didn't. Yeah, I don't know why. I I think they got. Let's get into the other Clone Wars cartoon. <laughs> yes, because um, it opened with a movie, which was not supposed to be a movie. It was supposed to be uh, basically one long pilot episode mm-hmm. that they formatted into a movie for release. And I remember when it was coming out, I was like, oh, is that what? I didn't know what it was. I was like, is that, is that another Star Wars movie? Are they going to keep making them? Is George Lucas still going to keep doing them? But it mm-hmm. looked very odd. And the animation looked very stilted and clunky. And something was off. Yeah. And it was off. I, I think I remember... I, I saw a preview for it at New York Comic Con with uh, Seth Green in attendance. And uh, it was very much... I was just, it was mostly just confusing. It was like, all right. I guess we're still doing the Clone Wars thing. But I was still... Like, but like, I, at this point, I was kind of like, yeah, Star Wars, it's done. Why are we doing more? But that was my attitude at the time. Because I thought with Revenge of the Sith, like, and I wasn't like, a, like I hadn't really started to re-examine those films by that point. I just kind of was thinking, like, it's the story's over. Why are we doing more? There's no point. <laughs> and I, I just had no interest. And then when it did finally come out, I remember, uh, I think it was Ebert. I saw Ebert's review, and it was like two stars or like one star. And I was like, oh, and I didn't go. I didn't see it. And that was at a time in my life where I was like basically at the theater every weekend. <laughs> what was your first reaction to Zero, the hut? Um, oh, God, he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was basically like, I, and I watched this a couple years later. I didn't start this show until it was on Netflix. I was very much very indifferent to the whole Clone Wars cartoon. Um. Which, in retrospect, I do kind of regret, because uh, it's actually a very good show. I think I should just say that off the bat. Um, we're talking about this Clone Wars movie, but the show itself is very good. Yeah, and it takes a little while to get going, uh, a couple episodes for sure. But once yeah. it gets there, it, it is it's a darn good experience. 
not not perfect. There's some rough spots here and there. But fuck, when that show was good, it's some of my favorite Star Wars material. Yeah, and it felt like it was just about to get its rhythm too. <laughs> and then it ended. But whatever. Um, it did good. It, 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 there's more good episodes than bad, and you can't say that about a lot of children's television shows. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, right up front, I also want to say that it has one of my favorite Star Wars stories ever. Fucking, ah, God, I, where's the planet name? Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's an episode where Ahsoka, who is uh, Anakin's Padawan in this series, Anakin mm. and Obi-Wan, they're on like a routine, like, inspection and then they get trapped in like this force planet yes and i i am head over heels in love with that little trilogy huge ideas about the balance between the light and the dark side of the force this chosen one idea it, it delves into like a lot of the the, the mystical aspects the spirituality of it mm-hmm. more so than any like physical confrontation stuff although the series did good with like the big battle stuff on occasion too but man that one like, think- floored me. I don't think it ever, like, it's, a, it's great. I, honestly, it works way more than I ever thought it would. This, the series, every time the series kind of stumbles, it's usually because of its connection to the prequels. And I'm not trying to be, like, a prequel hater, but, like, the prequels have so many missteps that it doesn't allow the show to maybe go in certain directions that it should have. But that arc that you're talking about, um, I remember watching it and, like, being kind of shocked at, like, how much of an impact it left on me. And not just that, that episode actually features a flash-forward to the Revenge of the Sith when everything will eventually go wrong that, like, genuinely, like, sent a shiver down my spine. And so, it, on some level, like, something went right with the prequels if it worked like that. Um, and it took me watching that episode to kind of feel that. And for every one of those episodes, though... Um... Well, maybe, like, to me, there's no equivalent to that. Like, that, that's the peak of animated Star Wars, even more so than the, the Tartakovsky stuff for me. Mm. Um, but then you have stuff like a, like a Boba Fett uh, Manhunt yeah. episode, which isn't terrible, anytime, but it's just like, why? Anytime you got the kid Boba Fett stuff, it just sucked. I hated kid Boba Fett. I actually hated a lot of the bounty hunter stuff in general in Clone Wars. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I really didn't like most of the bounty hunter things. Um, which is weird. Well, it, it felt like a very conscious attempt to, like, make, like, inject the Clone Wars with some of the elements from the original trilogy that were missing from the films. Which is commendable, but it, it never gelled for me. But I am more specifically talking about how none of the Boba Fett ever, stuff ever worked for me. Uh, you know a Boba Fett moment I liked? It's when uh, later in the series, oh god, I can't, I can't remember anyone's name right now. The uh, Count Dooku's apprentice, not uh, shit. Ventress. Thank you, Ventress. Massage Ventress. Yeah, when she she leaves, she has to go on the run, and then she becomes a bounty hunter, and then she takes over Boba Fett's like hodgepodge crew. Mm-hmm. Like that was it, because like yeah, he sucks. She just, like, yeah. kicks him to the side, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, and he's just such a punk. It's why, like, I don't really want a Boba Fett anything, because he's he, the character is basically done with all the EU stuff that has happened to him. Like, he's, he's lost any sort of, com- anything that made him compelling, <laughs> in my opinion. 
Like, literally, the only way to make Boba Fett interesting for me at this point would be to say, hey, Boba Fett actually died years ago, and someone just took his armor and has been saying they're Boba Fett. I I have no confirmation or um, sources, like, direct sources on this, but my understanding, the plan for Josh Trank's Boba Fett movie was, it was going to star Michael B. Jordan. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would have shot, like, right after Fantastic Four. Um, and that was, that was the plan where it was going to be someone's armor. It was going to be Boba Fett's armor, but someone else like beneath it. Well, that's not the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan in a Star Wars movie. That would get me to watch it. That'd be interesting. Um, yeah, but fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. But I still, I just don't think Boba Fett's that interesting. Although, I remember there was tons of talk about a Boba Fett movie happening before Star Wars was even bought by Disney. Like, there was always talk of a Boba Fett movie. I realized I took all these notes on the Clone Wars cartoon, and they're all, like, almost useless. (laughs) Well, here, go go ahead and read some off. Um, Ryloth. Twilix shit. That was for episode, season one, episode 21. That was the only note I wrote. <laughs> did, did you like it? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I remember by the end of the first season, it had totally won me over. I was like, oh, I, I get the rhythm of the show now. It, it's mm-hmm. really like built up this momentum. Uh, they've evened out all, most of their issues by that point. So I was, I was very happy. Uh, and then season two is I, or I think like 90 to 95% of it are either really good or at least solid. That's mm-hmm. when they really start getting into the bounty hunter stuff though, but they only add Boba Fett like at the end of that. So yeah, mixed, mixed bag kind of, but uh, I really like, oh, here you go. It's another villain. Um, Cad Bane. I don't know how you feel about that character. Who? <laughs> He's yeah, just, yeah, no, I know, Cat. Okay. I'm just fucking around. Oh, okay. um, he looks cool. He looks cool. Oh, I'm sorry. I, he, he, yeah, he's all right. I mean, he's he's menacing at times. Um, it should say one of the flaws of the Clone Wars cartoon is that uh, Count Dooku becomes a cartoon villain essentially. Oh, he he goes all. He's like a, a Hammer Films version of Dracula, more so than like a compelling anything. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it, it hurts that you don't have... Um, no, Dracula's a million times more interesting than Count Dooku ever was. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you're taking, like, a broad caricature of the idea of, like, Dracula, like, someone who's just menacing and doing evil stuff, like, someone who misunderstands the appeal of a character like Dracula, or even... Um, Christopher Lee's interpretation of Dooku in the prequels. Like, mm. there's really nothing to this version in the animated series. Yeah. Like, evil, like, he might as well be twirling his mustache and beard in every episode. But even that would add, like, more personality. So I don't, I don't know. It's kind of a bust here. Here's another uh, quote. Uh, Grievous. <laughs> <laughs> Did, did you like him? I just wrote Grievous. Okay. Um, oh, you know what? Let me go over some of the best of my notes. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Anakin tortures Poggle. So there's remember that when he tortured Poggle the Lesser. Um, Mandalore again. Mandalore corruption. Ahsoka in charge. That's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of these are there's, but they get more complex as things go on. Your Wookiees, it's Chewbacca. <laughs> forced, but not as forced as Episode Three. Young Tarkin. Remember Tarkin showed up. Oh yeah, he shows up a couple times, right? Um, yeah, he does. He becomes like a major. He becomes like a main character towards the end, which is actually, I think, a smart idea. Yeah, because um, then that way, like when you when someone watches like the whole series, it's that's a neat culmination. Yeah, and also there's like this really interesting to me visually. There's this really interesting, uh, like visual of the Republic slowly turning into the Empire, like with the military. Like one of the things this show does really well is it's it's a kind of about like a forever war, and how there's no way that the Clone Wars are ever going to end, and how quickly it's getting out of control, especially by the end. And you get hints at how the Emperor is using this. I mean, he's basically using this war to force other systems into the war just so he can take, like, you know, install his military bases there. Thankfully, the United States has never done anything like that. The, that forever war aspect of the show, which is pretty heavy for a kid's show, I hope kids, like, pick up on some of that. Um, and maybe now that they're coming of age are starting to uh, apply these ideas to uh, our current politics, political landscape. That, uh, yes, America did, in fact, elect a cartoony bad guy. <laughs> the Emperor could have looked like Monster Mash, and they still would have voted for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, so that's one aspect of the show I really like. One aspect of the show I didn't like, based on these notes of mine. Um, Mandalore. Warriors were exiled to the moon and died off. I hate the Mandalorian shit. <laughs> Everyone is Boba Fett. Exclamation point. <laughs> and that's just, to me, one of, the, one of the things the prequels does with the Clone Wars being clones of Jango Fett and this whole, like, Mandalorian culture where everyone looks like Boba Fett. It's like, you get to be Boba Fett, and you get to be Boba Fett, and you get to be Boba Fett, and it just sucks. Although the uh, not-quite-Boba-Fett character who's constantly trying to overthrow... Uh, the Mandalorian government is voiced by, uh, fucking, uh, fucking, oh god, I forgot his name. <laughs> the Iron Man director. John Favreau? Yeah, John Favreau voiced him. Oh my god, I, that's so cool, I didn't know. Look up the the voice actors for this show, it's like, amazing. They got like, every, David Tennant was that robot in the one episode. Oh yeah, I remember that. And uh, um, oh, Mark Hamill was the ghost of, uh, fucking... Darth Bane, I think. Um, and fucking Liam Neeson came back for Qui Gon for an episode. Yeah, and that was great. In, in that episode that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh and he my gets God. to do more in this cartoon than he ever did in the fucking movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, they added a fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show as the Emperor after. Uh, oh yeah, the that was a little weird though. It never. I love Tim Curry. 
Yeah, never, never as cool as it should have been. Thank you, Tim Curry. Be- uh, mostly because the original voice actor who sadly passed away, uh, R.I.P., he was doing such good work. He did? Yeah, he passed away. That's why they replaced him. I thought I looked him up and he was still alive. <laughs> no, he, he is he's no longer with us. The, oh, I'm sorry for being episode. dead. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I hope you feel bad about that. Yeah, I do. I thought it was, I was like, why did they do that? It's like, oh, he died. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, um, no, uh, the, the actor passed away. The last thing he did was during that arc where Darth Maul takes over Mandalore and the Emperor tracks down uh, Maul and his brother. And then, oh, yeah. That was his last episode. So, what a fucking send off. Yeah, good one to go out on. Yeah. Um, and I guess we should talk about the one character we haven't, we somehow managed not to talk about. Oh, yeah, the highlight of the show, basically, once the things got going. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> oh, I, I, really quick, I have a note on that. Because uh, when I was starting to get into the show, the first time I watched it, uh, I got to the Jar Jar episode. By that point, I was like, you know, I, I feel the, the rough patch is smoothing out. And then the Jar Jar episode happens, and like immediately, I was like, "Oh no, I can't do this." I, yeah, I'm I, I had the same thing. <laughs> and it took me like a year, maybe two years, to go back to watch the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But I got through it, and it was worth it. So yeah, yeah I, I had the same reaction when I did it. Because like the, the first season is kind of front loaded with a lot of prequel baggage. Yeah. And the rest of the seasons shake it as much as they can. Uh, I will say um, that uh, I. <laughs> I actually like in the last season when Jar Jar and Mace Windu team up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's genuinely funny, but whatever. They never really find a great way to use Jar Jar. They try. I give him a lot of credit. He's not, like, torturous. They couldn't figure out. A way. And I actually heard there were ideas for episodes with Jar Jar that would have, like, kind of improved the character that were actually shot down by George himself. Aww. So maybe George was finally gun shy about using Jar Jar. I don't know. Maybe, but there was um, also because I, I, I got to give him credit for Jar Jar too, because they're they're aware they understand the reception Jar Jar had because there's this one episode where he has to go help Anakin and Obi Wan who are trapped in a place with uh, with Dooku and some mm-hmm. mercenaries or whatever, and uh, the the clones that are with them send Jar Jar off to go like uh, rendezvous with uh, the hostage takers. And by sending Jar Jar, they basically unleash, like, a secret weapon. Because yeah. he's such an idiot, he fucks up everything. And then, like, he destroys this tank, he knocks out everyone. And you know what? That kind of got me. That was kind of funny. Yeah, but I kind of wish, I just wish they could have just given, maybe, like, make Jar Jar Binks, like, the Forrest Gump of the Star Wars universe, where he's constantly stumbling, but then he ends up, like, doing good things. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. That's basically what happened there. Yeah, but I mean, like I wanted, like I wanted him to have a moment where he's like, like I'm Misa might be dumb, but Misa <laughs> know right from wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted a Jar Jar moment like that. <laughs> like Yusa might not take Misa seriously. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, Jar Jar, like, proves that, hey, even a fucking asshole like him can do the right thing from time to time. But no, he never got that. 
But anyway, let's talk about Ahsoka Tano. Yes. Uh, oh, fucking amazing character. Yeah, who was fucking hated initially. Do you remember that? I do. For years, uh, I... Cause I had only heard negative things about her because I never, I never tapped into the show. I never checked out the fan base or anything. Mm. I just knew the movie was shitty. And, um, yeah, I had no idea. And then when I finally gave it a shot, I was like, Hey, this, I mean, there's, there's something there. I, I see, I see the reasoning for wanting to add this character because there, there's something there. Well, I can see like, cause I think a, a lot of people's, you know, introduction to her were the, was the movie. Mm-hmm. And in it, she's kind of just like, you know, okay, boss type person. Like, she's kind of like a smart aleck. And she, but she's like, she doesn't really have much of a character to her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's just kind of like a, she kind of has like a raised eyebrow constantly. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like a DreamWorks poster. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like that, like it, it, she could have gotten annoying. Um, so I think a lot of people saw that movie and they never saw anything else. So they base the judgment of that character based on that. And on paper, I mean, she kind of does have like a, like a scrappy do kind of setup of like, oh, hey, Anakin had a Padawan that was never discussed <laughs> in those movies. So like, I could see how some fans maybe felt it was forced. Um, and also I think maybe. Some people who also reacted negatively to a black stormtrooper and a female protagonist in The Force Awakens maybe were uh, being very vocal at the time, too. Yeah. I'm not saying they were the majority of fans. I'm just saying that I think that those type of people were out there. She goes on to be, like, a key part of the Star Wars mythos, in my opinion. Um, I think you need her to complete Anakin's story. Um, Especially when we get into Rebels. She's a, she becomes a huge part of the Star Wars story, especially where her story ends, which wasn't even where it was intended to end in the Clone Wars. That's just, just where they ended that season, and then they, they got cut, they, they got canceled. And uh, where her arc ended in the series was not where it was supposed to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of where it was supposed to go, right? Um, actually, no. Oh, okay, finally, fuck. I got you. All right. So, so backstory. There's a whole subsection of political and uh, intrigue on the planet Mandalore, which Matt, you're apparently not a fan of. I guess it got better, but I wasn't a giant fan of it. Okay, uh, were you a fan of Satine? Yeah, she was fine. Yeah, I, I like that character a lot, and the idea of Obi Wan not being like this perfect Jedi because there are weird connotations for what a perfect Jedi is, and romantic entanglements he got into um yeah that fucker yeah you know he's a human being with wants needs and emotions what a piece of shit yeah <laughs> um but i i really like the mandalore stuff and when they brought in darth maul again uh that that threw me for a loop because i'd heard he comes back but i had no idea how and then he's like this weird scary cybernetic spider thing initially mm-hmm. And then when I didn't come, really like Spider Mall when that happened. I was okay with it because it wasn't the whole time. It was like a scene. Yeah, like it was very brief, but I was like worried like, oh no, <laughs> this is what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. um, I, actually, I think I saw that image before I actually saw the episode. So I was like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, and, but thankfully, 
that ended up being one of the more interesting things in the show. Yeah, and because uh, it takes place almost in real time from the prequel trilogy, where it's been like 10 years since he's seen Obi-Wan, all he's been doing is just like trying to survive on this desert planet. Um, that's They've retroactively made me care about this villain because there's really nothing to him. And so then they use that where all he is is just like the embodiment of rage and hatred and revenge and how that's consumed him to the point where he's just, he's lost any semblance of humanity. Here's a better idea. He gets cut in half, right? Yeah. So they bring him back, they bring him back, but he's in a steampunk wheelchair like Kenneth Branagh in Wild Wild West. No. No. (laughs) And he's obsessed with spiders. No. Wiki wiki wah. I'm sorry. He totally threw me off. So when he comes back and confronts Obi-Wan, like you could just feel like the anger leaping off the screen. And there's this cool visual thing they do where like he's burnt down this entire town, which is uh, oh, yeah. might be a little too dark, but it works for the scene because it adds to the emotion on display. And then him and his brother just beat the shit out of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan has to team up, yada, yada. But um, Maul and his brother get their ass kicked by the Emperor because the Emperor's like, there can only be two. Fuck this noise. I just want to mention real quick, mm-hmm. I hate the rule of two thing. I but that's like just it. me. No, I, I'm with you on that. I think that's narratively constricting like in a big way. I think it literally only exists because there's that line at the end of The Phantom Menace where Yoda goes, two there are, a master and an apprentice. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason why two. And it's stupid, like, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I got a whole other thing about that. Um, so, long story short, the Emperor forces Maul to do his bidding still. And mm. one of the things he has him do, right around the time Revenge of the Sith is about to start, is he sends Maul back to take back Mandalore, but now specifically for him and the Republic, which is right about to become the Empire. And so mm-hmm. the original plan for the finale of the series would have been about Obi-Wan and Anakin being too busy with the events of Revenge of the Sith to take back Mandalore from Maul. So they have to track down uh, Ahsoka and ask her to help. She would go lead an attack with a bunch of clone troopers, take back Mandalore, Maul gets away, and in the midst of that, that's when Order 66 happens. But oh, wow. I think some of the clones... Some of the clones that she's with, who would later show up in Rebels, would have removed their chips. I forget if she helps them take them out or if they remove their chips beforehand and they all escape together. Well, there is the whole arc towards the end where they a bunch of them discover the Order 66 thing. Yeah. Um, at, least, at least the beginnings of which is a very dark, like, fucking body snatchers type episode <laughs> of the show. I couldn't believe they did that. I... <laughs> I had no idea they were doing something like well, the, that at all. The and fact that you just mentioned, the fact you just mentioned that they were even going to mention Order 66 on the show is pretty insane to me. Like, that's a huge, that's a dark-ass moment. Mm-hmm. And that would have ended the series. <laughs> yeah. It makes Revenge of the Sith the darkest film ever made. Yeah. <laughs> because oh it's like, I'm trying to think of a kid whose first introduction to Star Wars was this cartoon. Because you know those kids out there exist. And then maybe like they're like, you're too young to watch the movies because you got to be 13 or something. I don't fucking know. Because Revenge of the Sith is PG-13, so never really knowing what happened. 
And then someday they finally watch Revenge of the Sith and they find out that e almost every character from the cartoon show dies in very undignified ways, I should add. Mm -hmm. Mace Windu probably getting the biggest send-off. And even that's still fucked up. That's insane to me. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, there's no real way to get around that, but... The fact that that was going to be in the show itself is even crazier to me. But wow, that would have been interesting. I'm not sure if it would have worked totally, but it would have been interesting. Yeah, and I think there was also a, an arc for Ventress where it was mm. very uh, Yojimbo. I, I forget all the little details, but she would have been like basically on her last legs, and then she kind of does like this last like mission sort of thing and ends up getting her killed. No, did she ever die in the show? She didn't, right? No, no. The last thing we see is uh, her helping, quote unquote, helping Anakin try and prove Ahsoka's uh, innocence. Oh yeah, yeah. I still think that she she might have died in one of the books or something. I gotta yeah. I gotta double check. One thing one thing to say about uh, Ventress is that she was originally intended to be the main villain of Attack of the Clones. That's where that character design came from. Um, they like developed all this stuff. They had all this art design. They were just they were about to begin casting, and then someone said, "Hey, uh, we just cast Christopher Lee, <laughs> <laughs> so make a character for Christopher Lee." And so they changed it to Count Dooku. So that's how the Star Wars movies get made these at that time. That's that's a bummer because Ventress is a really great character too. Well. Maybe it's a bummer, maybe it's not, because everything in the movie is so squandered. I wouldn't have been so bummed if Count Dooku was an actual interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> Which he's not. Um, and in the cartoon, he's just a cartoon villain. Ventress has much more of a character. So, may so I'm guessing, yeah, you're right, she probably did benefit from not being in the movies. Yeah. You know what I would have liked to see? It's, it's no fault of the show, but because Ahsoka and Ventress go through such drastic arcs, like, if they had teamed up for an arc in the last season, which never got made, mm -hmm. that would have been interesting. Like, they both in the same spot, but they come from total opposite sides of the Force. Yeah, that could oh have my been god, I want, to see, I want to see that movie. Alright, write another outline, boy. Fuck, um, I think I am now. Fuck. Alright. But, uh, anyway, uh, one thing that Clone Wars does, just while we're just before we finish talking about it, one thing that happens with the Clone Wars that I really enjoyed um, is that it actually deals with, it actually discusses the idea that Anakin is the chosen one. Which is like never really, we don't really understand how Anakin feels about being the chosen one in the movies. And the show kind of shows how much weight is kind of on Anakin. And Anakin's really confused about what is, it, what is his ultimate f purpose. Like why is... Why is he the chosen one? What's going to end up happening? And uh, at some point, he does get a vision um, that I mentioned of the destruction he's going to bring. Uh, and he can't handle it. And they actually have to wipe his memory just to bring him back. Because he goes mad from his visions. Um, which is a very interesting idea. Because, you know, maybe they could have let him go mad, and then the horrible events of Revenge of the Sith might not have happened. Yeah, it's sort of bringing up like ethical questions that you don't really get hit with in a, even in like a Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, I will say after watching this series for the first time, 
that's when I really started turning around in the prequels. You know, I'm still not crazy about them, but I like <laughs> about as much as I dislike. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, just all right, let's just talk about some other things George Lucas was up to around that time. Um, he helped with a fourth Indiana Jones film, which was not good. It received universal acclaim. Uh, he, uh, he made a movie called Red Tails, which was his attempt to finally, you know, all this technology he's been developing, now he's finally going to be able to make his own movies. And he's going to make this movie about Tuskegee Airmen that he's been talking about for a long time. And uh, he's going to go on Oprah and say that the reason why studios wouldn't make this movie is because it was an all-black cast. Do you remember that? I do. Um, which honestly, I mean, Hollywood's pretty fucked up, so I wouldn't be shocked if at least one studio had said that to him. <laughs> but mind you, they weren't actually saying this to, uh, they weren't saying this to producing the film. Lucas went and made this and then tried to get studios to distribute it, and studios said no. <laughs> and that's when he started saying that, oh, they won't distribute it because it has an all-black cast. And I think, uh, it might have been other reasons. <laughs> That it's unfortunately not very good. It's it's unfortunately very terrible. I think Lucas, this was at a time when Lucas was actually, there was a lot of talk about how frightened he was because without Star Wars movies, he was running out of money to keep paying his staff at Lucasfilm. Lucas didn't want to lay people off. Um, and so, you know, there's a good side of Lucas at least. Uh, and he kept trying. He tried to get the TV show going, but it never happened. Um, his other plan was to he was going to re-release all the Star Wars films in theaters in 3D. That I definitely remember. And that was like talked about forever, and that only got as far as Phantom Menace, which I don't even think made money. Like for the amount of money it cost to do the 3D conversion and release it. It, it did very poorly. I, I remember it did um, low expectations. But I think it did enough to justify mm. Attack of the Clones, which would definitely... But they never happen. released Attack of the Clones. Yes, no, that's the thing, because some things happened. He, I thought it underperformed in a way he wanted, because he wanted it to be as big as when the special editions were released. Yeah, and I think he, he underestimated fans of the prequels. Uh, I, think, I think if there's any example of that the prequels don't have the same staying power as the originals, it's that... No one that it. I mean, I didn't even go out and see it. Did you? No, but do you remember the big push for that was going along the internet for a while when that was happening? They were like, "Oh, well, you got to go watch the prequels in 3D so we can get the original trilogy in 3D." I do. Yeah, I and do remember like, that. Well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and it didn't really matter at that point because we were just going to get another fucking special edition. I would debate seeing Return of the Jedi in theaters if it was going to have that no and have that fucking stupid song in it. Yeah. Like, uh, I know that a lot of theaters, uh, whenever there's going to be an episode release of a Star Wars movie, they're going to do the entire saga. Well, I think mm -hmm. that's a cool idea. Um, I definitely wouldn't stay for all of them, even if I liked all the Star Wars movies. That's just, like, fucking insane to me. But um, mm -hmm. that's, that's a big, it's a big negative for me. It's not something I'd seriously consider. Because of, of the changes, like I don't, I don't want to sit through that. Yeah, I also just don't believe in the idea of watching them in order of episode one, two, three, four, five, six. Like the fact that Lucas couldn't see that that was the problem, maybe 
He should have started with episode four. That's Lucas's insistence that it's actually the, the Star Wars series saga is actually Darth Vader's story. So that was some of the stuff Lucas was up to. At some point, uh, there were some rumblings about an episode seven possibly happening. And here's something I don't think a lot of people understand. Lucas was intending to do an episode seven. He was going to make one even if what ended up happening didn't happen. He was also definitely planning on spinoff films because the, the original incarnation of the Han Solo spinoff was actually, he actually started talking to Lawrence Kasdan before he sold Lucasfilm. So this, was, this stuff was going to happen. And from what I understand from some of the stories that have leaked out, uh, it was always going to result in a reboot of the expanded universe. Lucas was not going to try and stick to the rules of the expanded universe. So for people who were upset about the expanded universe going away, it was going to happen no matter what. Because <laughs> episode seven was common. And we know that Lucas at least started writing an outline for episode seven, but it's unknown if he started writing it before or after he started talking to Disney. Um, but before he started talking to Disney, he started talking to Kathleen Kennedy one day on YouTube of all places. A video was released of George Lucas announcing that he was giving over control of Lucasfilm to Kathleen Kennedy. Yay. Yay. I mean, I, you know, I don't have super strong opinions on Kathleen Kennedy, even now. Um, she's, she's got a, she's, has a very uh, interesting career. Cause I believe she started out as, as Steven Spielberg's assistant. Yeah. And that was probably the most powerful woman in Hollywood. Um, which is great in a way. I mean, she's still a rich motherfucker. So she took over and it, it's kind of amazing looking back because Disney offered George Lucas 4.5 billion for all of his properties right? Mm -hmm. For all the characters. And George Lucas looked at that money and said, and he said no. <laughs> and he, he announced one day, I am writing down that I am putting Star Wars in the public domain. And now Star Wars can belong to the people. And that anyone who worth their salt, any, in, any big studio or independent filmmaker can make their own Star Wars film. And then we had that weird thing where there was like multiple studios competing to release a Star Wars film. We had Disney making one and we had Warner Brothers and we had Sony making a completely shitty one. But then we had like these, these independent directors who just, they managed to come together with like 30 million and making these really interesting character driven Star Wars films. And now there's just all this stuff on the horizon. Star Wars can go in a million different directions. And now it's this eternal thing that will live on forever in the creative hearts of filmmakers. As George Lucas intended when he founded Skywalker Ranch and also Bernie Sanders as president. <laughs> well, that's depressing. A man can dream. Um, but no, George Lucas sold it, sold it to Disney. <laughs> um, I'm just saying that there were other options for George Lucas. There... So he can shut the fuck up about Disney being the white slavers <laughs> of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, 
still, even at the end of the day, at the end of his journey with Star Wars, a real fucking mixed bag. Yep. Um, although, honestly, if I was going to give it to any studio, I think Disney's probably the best choice. Uh, not that I'm pro or against it, but why not 20th Century Fox? Because fuck them. <laughs> fuck Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> fuck the shit he owns. I don't know. I'm not totally invested in 20th Century Fox. I'm actually not too strong, like, like pro or against. The only thing they have, I mean, they are t- tied to the Fox brand, which is kind of a dirty brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that's, but the other thing is that all the other uh, major studios in Hollywood are connected to broadcast companies in some way. Except Disney. And Disney is still the only studio that is very purely a film studio. And... I mean, I'm not saying that they're like this altruistic, like artist-driven place, but they approach their movies slightly differently than other studios tend to. Um, not in a way that's like a major, like you know, they're not like this fucking, you know, like I'm, they're not brilliant artists or anything, but they tend to have a little more of an artistic edge compared to Hollywood studios, which isn't exactly saying a lot. And what was your reaction when you heard this news, Diego? Uh, I, I didn't know what to expect other than, oh my God, there's another Star Wars? Like, we're going to get be more. another one? For how long? Is this going to go on forever? Like, my mind was starting to race, but it was like slow. It was a slow buildup to it. Mm-hmm. Where the more I thought about it, the more I thought about the possibilities. Because they're literally endless with something like Star Wars. They, they, they are not finite. They could, you could do anything with Star Wars. Uh-huh. You can make any type of movie in the Star Wars universe, pretty much. I mean, obviously, you can't do like a, a Holocaust drama or something, but you could. Not saying it would work, but you could. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, it's kind of the, the holy grail of franchises, right? Yeah. Uh, not all of them. Well, every but... major franchise that came afterwards owes something to Star Wars. Yeah, and Star Wars works in such a way that other franchises never were able to tap into. Mm-hmm. Even the other great ones, even ones produced and created by the same people behind it. Yeah, yeah, doesn't mean they weren't I mean, they weren't good or arguably of on a personal level you might enjoy them more. But there's there's something about Star Wars that is so eternal. Like it it is just without Star Wars, the Hollywood landscape is so drastically different. Yeah. And I thought this would change things. I only I was short-sighted and saw it only as changing things for the better, which is not how anything works in life. So not that it's it's awful or anything right now. Just there are pros and cons to everything. Yeah, and, when you're dealing with mega corporations, there's always pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I kind of had a similar reaction, um, although I did. It took me a little while to start actually getting excited. Like, when it was, like, a nebulous thing for a long time. But when I heard that Disney was doing it, I wasn't, like... I remember a lot of people being, like, they're going to put mouse ears on Darth Vader's helmet. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it's just, like, you don't... People who say that don't understand how movies actually work, I guess. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. They're, they're the people who, who want the really serious thing serious all the time. No fun. 
At least in yeah, my fuck. experience, that that is that is usually who. There's a correlation there. Yeah, it's people who don't enjoy going to Disney World, I guess. Yeah. Or when they do, they can only go on the serious ride. <laughs> Does Disney World have serious rides? Um, <laughs> no, I think the most serious thing is like the Jungle Cruise. I enjoy the fucking universe of energy before Ellen ruined it. <laughs> okay, you want to go to Cars Land? Cars are for kids. Fuck that. I only do test tracks sponsored by Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> the cars have eyes. That's not realistic. This is bullshit, man. Cars don't have eyes. Cars don't have eyes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I remember that too. That Even now, people are like, oh, they're Disneyfying Star Wars. They're making it too safe. And you know, well, I don't think Rogue One's a champion for uh, making a more serious Star Wars movie. Like, I think if that's the quote-unquote serious one, you're good. Don't, mm-hmm. don't do that for a while or ever again. Um, and uh, let's briefly talk about how embarrassing Star Wars was right before this purchase. A couple things were happening towards like the tail end of the Lucas era of Lucasfilm. <laughs> Which is one is that he allowed officially authorized parodies of Star Wars to get made. By uh, both Robot Chicken... And uh, Family Guy. Remember those? I do remember those. Oh, my God. Um, and um, I'm not a fan of Family Guy, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, they're um, terrible. They're, okay. they're objectively terrible. I can't. I remember, I, I remember seeing the one. I remember uh, they try and take a couch out of the uh, trash compactor. That's oh. all I got. <laughs> Fucking stupid. And but I, I do kind of like. There was a time in my life where I was a fan of Robot Chicken, and I did enjoy some of the Star Wars stuff they did. Some some um, of their stuff is now, genuinely clever. I'll, I'll give Robot yeah. Chicken that. Admiral Ackbar cereal is pretty fucking hysterical, if you ask me. <laughs> Fans were okay with that, but they're not okay with Disney owning it. Okay, I kind of may, maybe because that's those things for for adults more, maybe people who would understand the jokes. And there's this thing that's thrown around about, like, oh, did, like they try and show, like, the Disneyland Star Wars celebrations, um, where you can see, like, Darth Vader dancing the hip-hop music and stuff like that. Have you seen those? Yeah, I like those videos. Those are, those are really embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but guess, guess who approved them? <laughs> guess who approved them? George Lucas. George Lucas. Those were around before they were sold to Disney. <laughs> this was officially sanctioned by Lucasfilm. And now they're going away and they're actually rebuilding the entire Star Wars land at Disney World. So we might not see that type of Star Wars anymore. I'm waiting to see. I, I wouldn't put it past Disney to keep it. it. It's not something they started doing after the purchase to, to fuck with the brand. Um, in fact, one of the better things they might have done is they stopped a Star Wars series from getting released. George Lucas was such a fan of the uh, Robot Chicken Star Wars episodes, he brought Seth Green and the other guy. Oh, fuck. On, I remember this yeah, now. They, to make a cartoon show that was like a, like a comedy, a bunch of comedy shorts using Star Wars characters, but aimed uh, at children. Star Wars Detours, right? Star Wars Detours. And it was previewed, and it had a very negative reaction. And I know that they, they, they pretty much made like an entire season's worth of episodes. And then uh, when uh, Kathleen Kennedy took over, she was like, no. 
Um, so that was, and then uh, one other thing that uh, was shut down when uh, Disney took over, um, which is another mixed bag, uh, LucasArts, uh, which had a proud and storied history of uh, making, you know, adventure games back in the day, and then eventually they got the Star Wars rights back, and they made a couple of pretty good Star Wars video games. And then they made a dance game. Uh, that was, I think, watching the uh, footage of that game was the first time I ever, like, truly felt embarrassed for liking Star Wars. What the fuck was that? <laughs> and again, that was not made under Disney. That was under Lucas's watch. So don't be talking to me about Disney kidifying Star Wars. Because as far as I'm concerned, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And furthermore, Star Wars has always been for kids. It just happens to be good storytelling. Yeah, stuff can be good for kids. You ever see the fucking Iron Giant, you tools? (laughs) And I mean, and then the mixed bag of the Disney thing is that Disney shut down LucasArts, which from what I understand, I guess LucasArts had been kind of a disaster for the last couple years. And then they gave all the rights to the Star Wars games to EA, which is already looking like a disaster. Okay, I'll tell you, uh, that, as soon as I heard that part of that, the whole Star Wars endeavor post-Lucasfilm, or LucasArts, mm-hmm. I, I, I knew I was never going to play a Star Wars game like again, unless I, I yeah. really wanted to. Because, honestly, kind of fuck EA. Fuck EA, I, I just, the, the, the scumminess, especially right now with all the loot box shit that's going on, which, for all I know, could be over by the time these episodes air, because there's, like, a really big pushback against them. Basically promoting gambling to children. Wait, what? Um, look, look, I don't want to go into it. Look oh it up. Oh, my God. And they were going to institute, they were going to put this stuff in Battlefront 2, and then there was such a backlash, they actually pulled back on it a little bit. Holy shit. Um, it's a big thing that AAA... It started with Overwatch, and... I mean, I think it was around before them, but Overwatch kind of kicked it into high gear, and then it was in Shadow of War, and now it's kind of going into every video game. Uh, is that is that basically just, like, another version of DLC? Because I've been not happy with that endeavor. Um, I don't mind DLC. Uh, this is more like... I don't, how do I explain it? From what I understand, it's... it You get, like, in-game points that you can get these loot boxes for... So, like, if you play the game enough, you can get these, and then you get a randomized box, and then, oh, hey, you get something in it. And then you can actually sell those things back for more points, like if you already have it. But you can also put up your own money to get more boxes more regularly. I think that's how it works. It's turned into a gambling service. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Just look up some of the scummy stuff surrounding it. Like, I don't want to, like, my younger brother wants Battlefront 2, and I don't want to get it for him if that's what they're going to be doing with it. Like, that's gross. Yeah. And so, yeah, so as, as of right now, it doesn't look like there's going to be a good Star Wars game on the horizon for a long time. A long time. Go play Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, it's on Steam. Go get it. And then die, you fuckers. <laughs> but hey, that was uh, basically the tail end of the Lucas era. And now we're beginning the Kennedy era, which we still do not know how that is going to play out in its entirety. But there was a, uh, you know, we were told we were going to get three more films, and we all held our breath waiting to see what those films were going to look like. 
and who they were going to get to make them, could they, could, can you even make a good Star Wars film now in this post 9-11 age? Uh, well, everyone was rooting for Star Wars. That was the big thing with like every movie that was coming out as soon as they announced that they're going to make a new Star Wars movie. But yeah, everyone, whenever they were asked, would always say like they're talking to everyone. Like everyone's trying to get meetings. Everyone wants to be in the next Star Wars because, you know, even after the prequels, it's a Star Wars movie. Why the fuck wouldn't you want to be a part of that legacy, you know? Although I would, I would look at Hayden Christensen as a uh, cautionary tale of that. Yes. Who seems to yeah. be done with films. Too bad. Not, not a terrible actor. And not, not, not his fault, but that's what Star Wars can do if it goes wrong. But yeah, I, I, remember, I remember more hearing about all the directors who were being asked. Yes. Do you, do you remember a certain someone, a certain favorite, I think of both of ours, who was up for it? Mick G. Oh, shit. I don't even know. No. <laughs> There's no way he, he made it past, like... No, they the did not ask Mick G. <laughs> uh, David Fincher. Yeah, David Fincher. I know he was asked at one point. Yeah, and he, he's... Uh, even recently, like, the day of recording this episode, um, he, he was very frank about why he's not looking to direct a Star Wars anywhere near in the near future. Because, mm-hmm. uh, quote, I can't imagine the kind of intestinal fortitude one has to have following up the success of the last two. That's a whole other level. One is that you have to endure the withering abuse of Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. The other is you have to live up to a billion or a billion five, and that becomes its own kind of pressure. You'd have yeah. to have a really clear head, I think. You'd have to really be sure this is what you wanted to do, because either way, it's two years of your life, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And he's not wrong. I can't imagine like him, even if he was hired, I can't imagine him even lasting, considering how Lucasfilm has been with their directors. Considering how he's like notorious for the multiple takes, like I can't mm-hmm. imagine a, a big studio, but he is doing the uh, World War Z sequel. Yeah, which I'm very excited to see because what the fuck is that even going to look like? But have you heard his story idea for uh, a new Star Wars film? It's very broad. It's not like a specific outline or anything. It's just the kickoff idea. Um, like what he no, what did, what did he say? He sees Star Wars as a story of two slaves, two droids, who travel across the galaxy in an endless cycle of war and come across characters on their own journeys. It's about C-3PO and R2-D2. It's like the most David Fincher thing ever. <laughs> it's like kind of nihilistic, kind of cynical, but you could totally see him doing that with, these, with this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's from the perspective of R2-D2 and C-3PO as they encounter the next generation of Star Wars, and they, they continue in their own Star War. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. A little dark. A little dark. A little dark. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, so, uh, that's David Fincher as fuck. Yeah. Um, do you remember, like, because I remember he was being talked about at a time when he was also scheduled to do a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea movie with Disney. Do you remember that? I do, and it never officially died, but it's basically dead now. Well, that was one of those movies that got killed in the wake of uh, John Carter flopping. Yeah. The Lone Ranger flopping and Mars Needs Moms flopping. That was a Disney movie? What the fuck? Yeah, well, that was like barely, but Disney still lost a lot of money on it. Oh. And that was when Disney was like, fuck art. <laughs> franchises, <laughs> franchises, franchises. Yes, because they were, they were, like, at that time, they were supposed to be doing, like, all these really interesting projects, like Guillermo del Toro's Haunted Mansion movie. 
Oh, I want that so And bad. then that was another one that seemed to just die. One of the other directors approached was Brad Bird. Yes. Yes, he was. Um, but he was too busy doing Tomorrowland, which Damon Lindelof convinced him was going to be a hit. Um, Lindelof, you snake. I still haven't seen it. It's bad. I've heard. Um, there's a, you, remember the previews where you actually get to see Tomorrowland, and you're like, wow, that actually looks kind of cool? Yeah. Yeah, most of the movie, they're stuck in a truck. And then it's constantly scolding you about why don't you want to go to Tomorrowland. Oh. I'm like, motherfucker, I put down $10 to go to Tomorrowland. Do you know who else were the big names? Like, the ones that were, like, seriously up for it? I know Favreau said no. Which is absurd to me, because he's one of those guys who I feel like, with a good crew and script, he would totally nail that, too. I think he was still burned out from Iron Man 2 and uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens, which supposedly didn't have a great production. Yeah, and he would have worked with Harrison Ford again, so maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe that was part of it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I heard that too, which is a bummer. Um, ben Affleck, Guillermo del Toro, hmm. and there might be one more, but I, I I don't have them in my notes. But those those are the other big two, and then del Toro always like passes on the bigger stuff because he just wants to make his own weird shit, which I greatly appreciate. <laughs> And I think he also passed on it because the one he said yes to, The Hobbit, ended up being a disaster. <laughs> Not because of him, of course, but... Oh, I want to live in the world where he made that duology so badly. Yeah, I've been, same. I've been thinking about that a lot. Because I just found out he was up for Thor originally, too, and he passed on that to do The Hobbit. And then he had to pass on The Hobbit because it didn't get mm. financing until Peter Jackson came on. Like, yeah. Oh, fucking guy, just let this dude make whatever he wants, you fucking idiots. And and then his, he was about to make his At the Mountains of Madness movie, and then Universal canceled it because they thought it'd be too much like Prometheus. As much as I love these new Alien movies, don't say anything, um, I'd, trade them, Fucker. I'd trade them easily, <laughs> I'd trade them easily for that movie. I would trade you for Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. <laughs> I, I completely get it. I get it. I would walk over the corpses of all my friends <laughs> for Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. Uh, for those interested, you as well, Matthew, um, there may or may not be a version of the shooting script available online that fell off a truck somewhere. Oh, hey. That I may or may not have come across in my days. I should check that out. If you're interested, you maybe, maybe should, maybe not check it out. Um, but yeah, those were the other people who were seriously up for it. Uh, I, I don't know how Ben Affleck would do. I kind of think he's gotten like less interesting as a director as he's gone on, but still like solid. He hasn't had enough to do, in my opinion. Like, I, I, I still don't, he hasn't made enough movies for me to really judge him. Because, like, Gone Baby Gone and The Town, I think, are both great. Argo's fine. I didn't see his other movie. Um, but even the fl- when, when his movies are flawed, there's something in them that is, it works. Yeah, they, they're Although all- I don't really give a shit right now because there's stuff coming out about Affleck that's making me go, like, fuck Affleck. Yeah. Yeah. That's, fuck everyone. Everyone's a scumbag unless you're, like, Ava DuVernay. I don't trust don't trust no damn buddy in Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe that's the right attitude to have, actually. So 
And she should be the one doing one of these Star Wars fucking movies, but... Yeah, um, Abrams is a big champion for her, who, spoiler alert, ended up getting the job. He's such a big champion, he took the job. (laughs) (laughs) I get it, she might be... She's probably very busy right now in post-production on, you know, uh, fucking A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, that I think that's supposed to wrap post in, like, January or December. So, mm-hmm. I don't know how much time they, they want to they wanna wait. And she's got to, she, for a big tentpole movie, you have to kind of devote your time to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure Lucasfilm is panicking now that they've lost another director. Yeah. Um, when they realized they had hired a talentless hack. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I, I get Abrams as the safe choice. Which is funny because that's exactly how I felt when I first heard he was cast too. As mm-hmm. much as I like some of his movies, like I adore Star Trek 09, most of Super 8. Um, Mission Impossible 3 is one of the greatest dumb movies ever made. Mm. And, uh, like, but I, I get it. He's like, he's like well, the guy to reboot something almost, you know? Well, I think when I heard he was picked, and mind you, he was picked, and then there was also the issue of the original screenwriter was fired. And then they brought in Lawrence Kasdan and Abrams to write it together. Yes, Mark Michael Arndt, the screenwriter mm. of Toy Story 3 and a couple other things that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Yes, a movie I'm not crazy about, if I'm being honest. But Toy Story 3 is amazing. Mm. Um, his drafts was, was uh, very well received. But I guess there were some issues with Abrams on the side of it. And then because they were just like full force Abrams at this time... They just hired someone else. Well, from what I understand, Michael Arndt wrote, like, he wrote his draft, and he said, I want, like, a full year to work on this. He said, I don't think I can really get, I don't think I can distill Star Wars down to what it, it should be unless I work on it for about a year. And Kevin Kennedy was like, fuck no, we got to film in, like, six months. <laughs> and uh, Abrams was like, I like it as is. I don't want it to change too much. And, um, and it did change. Uh, you can see a lot of the ideas and the concept art that's available mm-hmm. in the concept art book, uh, which I haven't read fully through, but I've seen a lot of it online. And oh my god, it's stunning! Like I want to see that yeah. movie too. But yeah, it's it's it's, 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 it's it, there's a lot of ideas, and I hope that they do the Lucas thing and just mine the abandoned ideas later. Yeah, and if you and watch, like bring certain things back. Yeah, if you watch the Last Jedi trailer, there's definitely something that they brought back. It's not it's not a spoiler. Yep. It's just some ATATs. Yeah, that in classic uh, Star Wars reboot fashion, familiar but different. Yep. Uh, but Michael Arndt was smart enough in uh, his last versions of the draft to realize that whenever he brought Luke in around the midway point of the film it ended up becoming a film about Luke too much. So mm-hmm. he realized that this movie needs to be about the next generation. They could bump into the old cast. Like Han Solo was never the main character, so they could bump into him and he could have a fun back and forth. But he realized that the movie only works when Luke is the MacGuffin. And yeah. it's about the search for Luke, more so at than least, Luke himself. At least they realized that. Yeah, and clearly they kept that through the entire film and definitely worked for the better, I'd say. And also, Michael Arndt's supposed to be a tough guy to work with. Yeah. Um, not, not, not saying that's necessarily bad. I just heard he's very opinionated. <laughs> um, and hey, if that's what it takes to write a good screenplay, 
as long as you're not a horrible asshole. Then <laughs> um, so be it. Um, yes, yeah, so JJ's brought on, and that's when it was pretty much, I was like, well, we're probably going to get a solid movie, but can it be more than that? And we'll find out if it was more than that next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Matt, where can the people find you? Fuck off and die, everyone. <laughs> Fuck off and die. I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. You pieces of shit. And you can find me on Twitter as well at D-E-W-G-O Waffles, the Waffle Press. Like and subscribe. Check out SoundCloud or Patreon. Like and subscribe if you didn't like. Like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. Check out our other retrospectives, reviews, podcasts, all, all up in the doobity-doo. We're doing more commentaries. Check those out too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I've been professionally unprofessional. some more of my notes buffoon investigator clone youth brigade trying to kill mace windu oh yeah i have an arrow saying boba fett zelo beast seven samurai homage on fallujah mandalore again frowny face zero is dead